I'm the doctor, by the way. You're listening to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's fated to carry on dropping episodes until the end of time, or so it seems. We're on the trail, as ever, of those sections of the Doctor Who universe that feature the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by Paul McGann, or Paul John McGann, if you're listening to Big Finish CD Extras. I'm Kenny Smith, not Paul John McGann. Are you sure? Yes, yes I am. Okay, I wondered if if it was, but he just cut his hair himself. (laughs) I am Matt Michael, and you join us as we resume our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, magazines, and more. Oh yes, definitely more. But Matt, you and I have been... uh listening to something this week which I discovered the other night and obviously I sent you a a link to it and it's possibly one of the strangest things I can see that I've ever heard. It was very, very bizarre. So this is AI Paul McGann reads the first chapter of The Dying Days. Great chapter, so thumbs thumbs up for the material. The AI Paul McGann, yeah, well... Yeah, I think you can recognise who it's meant to be, but it's very flat, isn't it? It's just dead, the inflection, and yeah, it just, it's not, it's just not right. It's weird. It's the best word for it. It's, yeah, it's, um, it, it is very odd. And what is really especially odd is that the AI, instead of, reading the Eighth Doctor's lines in the voice of Paul McGann puts on this strange, high-pitched sort of... I can't even describe it, but it sounds it sounds like he's trapped some sensitive part of his body in a drawer and is then trying to, trying to read the Doctor's lines. And it's just very strange. Very, very odd. Unsettlingly so. But... I, I, it might be the future. It might be the future in a few years' time. I, I was watching, incidentally, um, they've used AI to fill in the gaps between some of the telesnaps yes. from Patrick Troughton. And it doesn't It doesn't work. It, it's a uncanny and the faces are wrong and it, it doesn't quite work. But you can see the possibility and it feels like in five years' time... That could be a way to bring, who knows, the savages back to life. And we could see Flower walking down that corridor from the back, which I'm sure would please a number of listeners. We're not pointing at any here whatsoever, but (laughs) I know what you mean, yes. But yeah, it's amazing just the way the technology's coming on. And um, I do support the writer strikes, incidentally, and uh, the actors who are supporting them as well, because no matter how hard they try, they'll never quite get it right. It's at least not yet, but yeah, it's definitely a, it gives you a taster of what a Robo McGann would sound like. And uh, yeah, I wonder what Paul would think of it if he heard it. Mm, probably, he probably wouldn't be very impressed, probably be slightly insulted. So yeah, but the also the guy who's done this um, has also got a, 
Colin Baker version reading Millennial Rights. Mm. And it sounds like a very posh Colin Baker. You could almost picture him wearing like a starched suit and he's not allowed to move <laughs> his face. And he just has to talk like this. Mm. No, it doesn't work. It's He seems to love it and think it sounds like Colin Baker. I don't think it sounds like Colin Baker at all, but no. No. I think AI gets has got to that point where it's actually fairly good at some of the basics, but it's it's got close enough that it's the uncanny valley thing, I guess. It's got close enough to reality that the glaring differences are even more glaring. It's it's no longer like listening to, you know, a computerized announcement at a station or something like that where it's really obviously um just a sort of piece together robotic voice it, it it's so close to human now but it's still not it's not quite there and i think i think our natural tendency is to find that a bit repulsive because it's it's almost there but it's not quite yeah it's just yeah it's good but it's not right as they used to say in a certain quiz show so far better than the Stephen Mulheron version where if his autocue shut down then he would be just standing grinning like a goon bring back Roy Walker, catchphrase has never been the same it's not as good as it used to be <laughs> or does a memory cheat, who knows anyway, we're not here to chat about catchphrase we're here to talk about Doctor Who and this week we're going to be discussing The Little Book of Fate the new 8th Doctor story which appeared in the new Warrior's Gate novelisation or to give it its correct title Warrior's Gate and Beyond by Stephen Gallagher and of course you didn't realise this uh, until the last time we spoke No, I, I had no idea I've known that there was a sort of expanded version of the Warrior's Gate novelisation for for Yonks because it came out on um, a BBC audio book gosh probably maybe 10 years ago now so I'm, I'm very aware that that exists and I'm, I'm obviously aware of the long history of that novelisation JNT's scissors that he took to it um, and I've also obviously been aware that um, the Kairos ring was released on BBC audio book a couple of years ago as part of that sort of slightly bizarre sort of Friends of the Doctor or Beyond the Doctor range that BBC Audiobooks did, which had that and then everything else was like a Paul Mars connected story. So it it felt a bit odd that it was so standalone. But yeah, I had no idea there was a third story until you mentioned um, to make a sort of mini post-Warriors Gate Romana Leaving trilogy. Yeah, I only sort of got the nod and the wink in this about three, four months ago when I was chatting with Steve Cole and we were recording some interviews for the upcoming season seven of Pieces of Eight and he said, oh, you'll be interested to know that there's a new Eighth Doctor short story going to be in this novelization. And oh, that's really cool. And to be honest, I'd sort of like half forgotten about it until uh, my copy came through the post and I was like, oh, of course, it's the beyond part. And remember, that's what it is. I mean, obviously, it's straight away, it's, and as we will hear later on from Steve, totally set apart from Big Finish continuity and everything like that. And it's in a little corner pocket of its own, a pocket universe, if you will. And uh, it's a lovely little story, sort of with a, with a freak show where there's something, that, there's something about the eighth doctor that just fits in with them. So we've had it in audio. Yeah. Um, 
with Charlie and Kerry's there uh, in other lives, and oh, it's yeah. just a you know, horrific thing. But here we've got a rather interesting twist on it, where we get to discover that everything is not what we think it is, and it's in fact it's not uh, people being manipulated or anything like that. There's actually some good work saving people going on there. Yeah. So, so I, I immediately thought of other lives as well, and I think the Eighth Doctor kind of does suit that fairground or travelling fair kind of setting. I think he's got a slightly greater showman kind of style to him in an odd way. But it's interesting that you say it's, it's sort of completely divorced from Big Finish continuity, because I think that it's, it's hard to reconcile the Eighth Doctor and Romana's relationship here with what we've what we've heard multiple times on Big Finish from Sharda through um through Neverland and uh, it's hard to sort of wrap that up with this story. What I did think was that the Romana incarnation in it, she wears a beret and that's basically Julia Landau, right? It's the Big Finish Romana. So it might be in its pocket universe divorce from Big Finish, but it's very clearly taking a Big Finish specific for incarnation of Romana and dropping her into the story. So it's not that divorced. Yeah. And the fact that it says that she's younger as well. Yeah. And think, yeah, that could be the, the Juliet Landau one. She was, I mean, when I interviewed her for Vortex, she was lovely. She sent me loads of amazing pictures of her in um, her sort of Tom Baker type scarf and everything. I was just yeah. like, wow. And thing was, I mean, I was like, hey, Oh, Matt is now holding up Luna Romana, and we can see her uh, looking very French there, like a naughty Ooh, French schoolgirl. Très bien, monsieur. <laughs> and um, I'm going to stop my seductive French. I can tell that everybody's getting too excited by that as they listen. Um, but yeah, there's there's something really exciting about it, because I was really thinking, oh, it's the daughter of Martin Landau, because I hadn't watched Buffy at that point, and of course yeah. since then I have discovered Drusilla and uh, how exciting she is. Um, yeah, I was quite uh, yeah, quite quite pleased and obviously enriched. But I mentioned this to one of my friends when I was getting some coaching for the job that I have now, and so she was helping me along and I mentioned that I'd interviewed Drusilla and she was all excited. So that was quite nice. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a neat wee story. Um, in fact, it's the Pharaohs are there. I mean, I think the fact you've got you can tell what's going to happen, the fact you're going to see a Farrell in the freak show. And then, of course, we discover that they're using the mirrors to rescue people. And I guess the implication is that it's the time war, given that the doctor's talking about his coat getting more frayed around the edges and yeah. evidently needs a new one. So I get the implication it's the oncoming time war. Yeah, there's that lovely description at the start of the Eighth Doctor. His TV movie, it's very clearly his TV movie costume because it talks about how he found it in a hospital locker in San Francisco. But it's it's now looking kind of it's lost its luster and it's looking very careworn. So clearly some time has passed since the TV movie. And it's a great way of representing that passage of time and also probably where the doctor is in his life, right? He's he the time was started it's it's going on in the background and he's started to move from that joyful young eighth doctor towards the one that we see in in the night of the doctor helping while he can where he can but not fighting yeah i think and it comes across he's 
definitely seems just you're looking at it. De- there is definitely a weariness to him, but um, at the same time, as soon as he gets the chance to help, that's him off in the TARDIS and uh, helping people and saving them. So it, it sort of does tie in with the the Night of the Doctor very much in that way, and he's sort of, as you say, around the edges without actually being involved. So yeah, quite a quite a nice wee way of doing it. And it's, there's not very much to it, but I think it's a great wee smile, and I think it's very. It definitely reads like, like the Eighth Doctor, and yeah. it, it feels authentic to him. And um, I do like the, the nice little sort of just like the last moment to referring to the the King of Diamonds, a fair man of a fiery temper, generally in the army, but both cunning and dangerous. He had to smile. How very apt. How very Romana. And so yeah, that's. I mean, it's, it's, I mean Steve's. Um, as we'll hear soon, he, I think he wasn't particularly a fan of the movie at first, and then discovered it. You know, went back and watched it again, and um, rediscovered his love of McGann, which is great. It just shows that um, when sort of people, when it's when people realise what the movie is, it's not what when they've got over what they expect it to be. There's actually a, there's a good film in there, and it's an enjoyable Doctor Who story. Take your brain out and just enjoy it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the movie. I'm a big fan of obviously the Eighth Doctor books um a lot of which steve ed- edited and this did have did really have that kind of sense of, of an eighth doctor adventure i got a little pang of nostalgia for the eighth doctor adventures um and the doctor the doctor in those I th- and i think that's possibly where it feels closer to the books than big finish is that it's very much the printed page version of the eighth doctor rather than the one that's been Sort of developed with the voice of Paul McGann through through Big Finish. I can imagine reading this in sort of 1999 or 2000 before I'd heard any before McGann had had, had any Big Finish audios released. And I don't think it would have been like totally out of kilter with what with what I was reading at, at that point. I think um, even the novels in about 1999 had had a new incarnation of Romana in the Shadows of Avalon so it could even have tied into that whole time war arc that um, that the novels were doing around the turn of the millennium. I think I, I really enjoyed it, I like the, there are a couple of nods to the new series like the Mauve Alert thing which is what pulls the Doctor towards the planet in the fir- uh, towards Earth in the first place um, obviously the sort of oncoming time war I, I was kind of a bit, I was a bit askew that um, it makes a big thing about Romana having this sort of green scarf and she gives the Eighth Doctor the green scarf because I thought, well, I what a fanish opportunity to explain where he got that little blue necktie from in The Night of the Doctor because he, he gives her his sort of grey cravat here in exchange for the green scarf and I thought maybe my... my my fanishness is showing through too much, but I was like, oh, I wish it'd been the, the little blue necktie that he wears in the Night of the Doctor. That is a nice idea. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That would have been quite good fun, just that, yeah, a little continuity in it uh, keeps them going, but that's what we like as fans. I suppose that's something that Steve may not necessarily have picked up on in the way that you and I would, so, yeah. But of course, there's still, um, I recently got myself, I forgot, totally forgotten, got my copy of the Target book, um, out the cupboard and I totally forgot there's an eighth Doctor story in there yeah. with fits and tricks so 
I think that uh, Steve Cole will be getting another call from me quite soon, so to get that one, and um, we'll get that one in uh, in a future series as well. So, yes, I think that's that sounds like a plan to me. But all in all, you know, really enjoyed it. It's a lovely recorder to a really good, enjoyable novelisation, and I I definitely recommend if you're an Eighth Doctor completist, then there's definitely worse things to spend nine pounds ninety nine on. How many pages are we talking? It's not a huge amount, but it's a nice wee, so it's 231 up to 2.4, so 18 pages. Okay, it might be quite a lot for 9.99, but you're getting a quality book, so yeah, you're getting Fourth Doctor in there as well. So Yeah, you, you do get the whole of the other novelisations as well. <laughs> yeah, but if you're an Eighth Doctor diehard, this is a must. That's the one that you want to go for. <laughs> Come to Warrior's Gate, stay for and beyond. This week we've got two interviews for you. Firstly, with book editor Steve Cole, and we're going to be chatting with its writer a little later on too. But before we start, here's an excerpt from the story. The brewer's wagon dropped him off mid-morning on Station Road, and a shopkeeper washing his windows offered directions to Low Green and the Whitsun Tide Fair. The doctor wanted to know if there had been any big changes to the fair this year. Anything new and strange or out of the ordinary, and the toy seller took the opportunity to unload his grievance onto a stranger. The corporation had made a bad decision in moving the event to the outskirts of the town, he complained. After coal strikes and the Great War, people around here had less money to spend. Visitor money made a difference. Those tradesmen who'd objected to stalls and booths in the streets outside their doors had effectively turned such business away. Meanwhile, Few locals had anything good to say about the crush and dust and stench of the new fairground. When he could get a word in, the doctor thanked him and set off. A couple of people went by, glancing at the doctor's attire. Lifted from a medic's locker in San Francisco after his last fraught regeneration, the frock coat had grown shabby, the buttons dulled. Not such a dandy as once he'd seemed, he drew less attention now. He'd left the TARDIS seven miles back in Whitehaven, in plain sight on a street corner, where no one would think its presence remarkable. A travelling fair was, by definition, something of a moving target. He got his first sight of it as he reached the railway, after hearing the noises of a steam organ drifting up the street. There it was, like a prairie village in a bend of the estuary, a nexus of noise and smoke on low-lying scrubland. People were coming in from different parts of town, families, children, small gangs of youths. He joined them on the path towards the showground. Already it was busy, probably had been since seven in the morning, when shift-working miners would have been gathering around the boxing booth for the chance of knocking out a professional and picking up a sovereign. The doctor moved through the daytime crowd, alert for anything. The centrepiece of the fair was the racing horses, an enormous bright carousel and the source of the Calliope music. In a ring around the carousel were gaming stalls of frame and canvas, and beyond them the swing boats and a shooting gallery, all funnelling visitors in towards the portables, the booth shows. No one paid the doctor any attention. Theirs were hard lives, and they were hungry for wonder. He stood by O'Brien's golden dragons and looked around. It would be a help, the doctor thought to himself, if he had a more specific idea of what he was looking for. Between the ghost show and a tacky hall of mirrors, he wondered if he might be on to something. So, you've heard what we think. 
So shall we hear from the stories editor now? And I think we should let him introduce himself first of all. Hello, I'm Steve Cole and the editor of Stephen Gallagher's The Little Book of Fate. Welcome, Steve. It's uh, a surprise to be talking to you about something other than the ongoing EDAs, but um, that's the wonderful nature of wibbly-wobbly timey-wiminess. It is, it is. The, and uh, any opportunity to embrace the Eighth Doctor should be taken, I feel. Exactly. So tell us a wee bit about this one. How did it come about? I mean, how did the whole renovelization begin for you? Well, um, I was talking to Michael Stevens about... Uh, you know, we, we often do about uh, swapping details of our schedules and how we can help each other. And it mentioned the lovely original novelization of Warrior's Gate, which was changed by John Nathan Turner because it had to reflect the televised version. Um, and they put out the audio version of this. And separately to that, they put out the Keros Ring, which was. Uh, audio original, about 10,000 words, um, seeing what Romana did next in East Space without K9 <laughs> for uh, rights reasons, I understand. And as we were looking for um, new old targets, if you like, having done uh, the two David Fisher renovelizations, I was very interested in bringing a print version of Warrior's Gate as it had originally had been envisaged. And certainly the uh, ending of uh, or climax to uh, Warriors Gate in the original uh, is very interesting and deviates significantly from what happened on television. I think the target should always be about the author bringing their own version of things. It's a it's a purer, distilled form of their story, not filtered through directors or producers or difficult uh, lead cast members. So it was uh, yeah a treat to to work on that. I had to do some tightening up of viewpoint for Warriors Gate just because it makes it read more clearly in a book rather than when you're told it as a story. And rather than just take all uh, Michael's good commissioning work and put it into book form, I thought it would be fun to add um, something extra, something unique just for the target book, which was how I came to ask Stephen to uh, write a, uh, a further little postscript to uh, to events and it became more than that it became a 5,000 word short story it's uh, rather nice with the little book of fate with uh, the doctor and Romana having a, a little encounter once again yes which was uh, what I wanted originally Stephen wanted to do a tenants doctor meeting Romana I had to say no lost the time lords time war Gallifrey destroyed Romana gone uh, the latest you can go is number eight and Steve went oh McGann brilliant and sat down and watched the TV movie and told me that he'd enjoyed it far more than he thought he would he'd uh, not seen it before but had heard of the American influence and, and I'm not sure was uh, that taken with the idea but found that he really enjoyed McGann's portrayal and what I found lovely when I came to uh, read and edit the little book of fate was how beautifully he'd captured him. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. And I was thinking, oh, if only we could have had Steve Gallagher writing an EDA for us back in the day. Wouldn't that have been absolutely wonderful? And I had to change practically nothing in that whole short story, literally about three words. It, I thought it was beautifully written. It's a lovely little story and a lovely little character piece. And it, yeah, just a really gorgeous moment having the Doctor meeting Romana again and seeing uh, all the good work that she's doing. 
and um, you know, with the um, carnival freak show setting and uh, the atmosphere is captured really, really well. It was, uh, yeah, I was really, really happy when I got that. And yeah, what a great package that Target book is. As are they all, we have to I have to say they're fantastic novelizations and really yes. good stories. And it's just lovely to have this little batch. So, and the fact we've got three more just been announced with Mr. Tennant. Yes. Indeed, indeed. Exciting times for Target. Exciting times for all readers. Exactly. Steve, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I love Steve. I've spoken to him quite a lot over the past couple of years about the EDAs and I'm delighted we could actually chat about something that's brand new with him. I actually yeah. met him in person for the first time at the Doctor Who Books Convention Novel Experiences down in Derby, which was organised by the Hoovers in May, and it was really good. And if anybody wants to know more about that event, please do pop over to our sister podcast, The Power of Three, and find the episode on Novel Experiences. And it was really good fun because it was recorded in the car, live on the way back up the road. It's brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. And now it's time for a chat with the story's writer, making his Pieces of Eighth debut, and hopefully not his last Pieces of Eighth appearance, it's Stephen Gallagher. Hello, I'm Stephen Gallagher, and many, many years ago, I wrote the TV show Warrior's Gate for Doctor Who, and more recently, I republished the original novelization. And what I did was, um, because there was no editorial budget, I kind of bit the bullet and uh, did the reassembly myself. And it's probably as well that I did, because once I got my head back into it, then uh, it's like the 40 years melted away and I could... Uh, I could put it all back together and see where all the joins were and uh, and then on top of that because when I'd when I'd done that and BBC books weren't weren't up for it BBC audio stepped in and said well if the books won't do it we'll do it so it came out as a BBC audio read by John Culshaw which is kind of the next best thing to getting Tom Baker on board for it uh, with John Leeson doing uh, doing the voice of K9 so the thing existed by the time I'd come to uh, to re repropose it to uh, BBC Books and uh, in the meantime I'd also done an, another 10,000 word novella about Romana and uh, Laszlo and what happened after they left the gateway at the end of Warrior's Gate by the request of BBC Audio as a a one-off audio reading um, which um, which also you know I think went very well and my idea was to put the two together and just see them you know published in one place as one continuous work and steve cole the editor at target said well we would love that but also you know we'd like some new material just to uh, just to add that little extra attraction to uh, to new readers who might already have the uh, the things in in other forms so i did a, another story my original idea had been to do a linking story between the two but when i looked at it you didn't need a linking story because one flowed on into the other so i did a postscript which is you know sometime later picking up the threads from both stories and rounding the whole thing off and then sending it forward into uh, into the future of the doctor if you've got the eighth doctor in this section which is uh, an interesting choice yeah, well, there were certain restrictions on which doctors I could use because I didn't just want to go back to uh, to number four again. And I wanted to move things on. And there were restrictions over, you know, which version of the doctor knew what about what at what time. And I thought, well, if I go for the eighth doctor, then um, then he kind of stands outside of all the other continuity. 
which meant that I had to go and dig out the um, the TV movie, which I'd seen on transmission and thought was fine um, and not really given much thought to ever since. And I watched that again and I thought, bloody hell, this is terrific. You know, it, it was obviously not, it wasn't appreciated enough at the time, I don't think, but it seems to me that it holds all the germs of everything that's there in, in New Doctor Who. In the revival, every, that 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 fantastic scene where uh, where the, um, the the companion I've forgotten her name Grace is it yep. uh, is at the opera and gets the call to come in. So you see her, you know, pounding down the hospital corridor in the big dress with the opera playing, you know, and and an emergency to get to, and you know the doctor on the table at the other end. And I thought those style flourishes and that tone and everything else really presages what was what was to come. You know, in in the Russell T Davis revival, and also you know had had many of the elements that made that successful. Yeah, and so I seized it. upon that, uh, and I also looked at um, Stephen Moffat's little kind of four minute, five minute webisode that um, he'd he'd um, he brought Paul McGann back for, which again was a terrific little piece, which I absolutely loved. And I thought, well, how can I bridge between the two? You know, is there uh, is there territory between those two? I didn't go into the big finish Paul McGann stuff and I didn't go into all the offline stuff because there's a limit to how much you can take in and to how much you want to be a slave to Canon. You know, I mean, Canon's there for, for my money, it's there to be used and to be, you know, skirted, skirted around if it's not convenient and built upon if it's, uh, if it's inspiring. So I took some inspiration from that and, um, and bish bash bosh, there you go, you've got the book. Fantastic, because I'm, I think particularly the fact that uh, I'm so looking forward to reading it. I'm, I'm due a copy any day now, BBC are ah. due to send me a copy. Um, I'd hoped to have it today, but sadly not. But uh, it's I think it's really exciting. And particularly, I think the fact that I'm looking forward to seeing what you as an established author is going to do with The Eighth Doctor. That's something that mm. particularly excites me. Oh, well, I can't say anything about it, can I? <laughs> I've committed myself to the page, you know, I'll either excite or disappoint you and there's nothing I can do about it at this point. Yeah, but I think there's something about Paul McGann's just got a, a restless energy to him. Mm. It's just, it's almost like he's a, he's a coiled spring just ready to explode at any point and go boing. Mm. I would have happily seen him come back, you know, in a later Doctor incarnation. There's, there's nobody in the show that I would wish away. But I, you know, it would have been nice if, um, if, for example, for uh, for the uh, for the new revival, my fleeting thought when I heard that there was going to be a new Doctor, but before Shooty or or anything else had been uh, had been announced, I thought, well, wouldn't it be terrific if you're going to have this thing of, well, you know, we've had a woman, should we have another woman? Is it sort of making some sort of statement if we don't have another woman? And I thought, well, if if the Doctor comes back and it's the Eighth Doctor. And he immediately vanishes, and then the rest of the uh, the season is the hunt for the Doctor by you know a ragtag band of companions who've you know got the use of something like the TARDIS, and then you can actually kind of fill in the gaps of what's been happening with the Eighth Doctor, you know by implication and by flashback or by by hint and everything else as you go along, and then do something further down the line. I just would have liked to have seen McGann get you know, a, a run at it. 
Dear Russell T. Davis, here's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, you don't do that. That's the thing. Somebody said, oh, why haven't you, um, you know, why haven't you put yourself forward for the new show? And I said, well, you don't do that. You know, you don't go to Doctor Who. Doctor Who comes to you. <laughs> uh, and that's the way it works. And it's it's kind of, if, imagine, you know, if you're, if you're one of the classic writers and you pitch and they say, no, thanks. It's kind of humiliating. <laughs> You know, I was I was referred to it as being a long walk back to your seat. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. so, so what are you up to at the moment? What are you working on? And where can people find out and keep up to date with you? Well, you can find out and keep up to date. I have a blog, stephengallagher.com. I do have a Twitter account, at Bruligan, uh, but God knows how long that's going to last. You know, well... <laughs> <laughs> while, the, while the service gets reduced and reduced. And in the meantime, I've been working on um, I, I, the... Let's see, the Faustine graphic novel will be coming out pretty soon. We, were, we had a couple of uh, delays on that for health reasons of people in the, in the pipeline, but that's uh, been resolved now, so that's all going ahead. I have other graphic novel stuff on the, on the stocks. I'm working on two shows. One is, uh, is, is uh, a feature possibly a streaming feature for a German producer. And the other is a very big international um, historical drama, which got stymied by, um, by COVID. I was about to board a plane to New Zealand in May of 2020. We were going to scout locations. We were going to have meetings with all the kind of, you know, the, the major cultural organizations down there. The whole thing was getting up on its feet. And then, of course, you know what happened in June 90, uh, 2020, so uh, so that all got put on. Uh, I thought it had actually been killed, actually, but it turns out it was just lying dormant and in recent months has, has raised its head again. So I'm continuing to work on that, and of course we're now working to get it back up to the point where it was when we, when we had to stop, but there's not a lot more I can say about that. Okay, well, that's fantastic. And mm -hmm. Steve, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real joy, and uh, I hope that my fanish, bubbling enthusiasm <laughs> hasn't overwhelmed you too much. Oh, no, I feed upon it like a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to talk to you, Kenny. Thank you. And thank you. Speak again soon. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, wouldn't, there's a great idea. Get Steve Gallagher to write more 8th doc Doctor stuff. Wouldn't that be good? You should, you should force him to. Yeah. Well, I've got his email address, so I could just bombard him with messages every day. Write an eighth doctor story. Write an eighth doctor story. Write an eighth doctor story. Write it for Big Finish. Write it now. Oh. Could see if we could get an AI Steve Gallagher to write an eighth doctor story. And then we could get AI Paul McGann to read it. Yeah. Mm, and then we good. could get AI Kenny and Matt to do a podcast about it. Exactly. So no doubt there'll be some gratuitous um cheeky comments from me uh, about um cheeky ladies and no doubt some cheeky comments from you about other things so yes um that might be quite interesting no i don't think no you're irreplaceable you're too much of an individual no ai could ever do you justice mm. thank you penny <laughs> you sound more like paul mcgann the ai paul mcgann <laughs> when he's doing his reading bit there <laughs> Honestly, people listening in, you need to go and listen to this thing. It's spin through the gentleman at the start, um, and uh, once you get to the, the reading, it's very interesting. But um, anyway, there you have it. We've done it again, Matt. We've made a pretty lengthy episode out of a short story. We're getting kind of good at this stuff, aren't we? We are. Next time, we're going to get one of Paul McGann's Sainsbury's receipts, and we're going to do it. <laughs> 
two hours, love it. That's the thing, we can go through the shopping list one item by item and give our opinions on it and how it relates to the Eighth Doctor. Why would the Eighth Doctor need beans and where would he store them? Would he store them in the console room or would he put them in the TARDIS kitchen or is it the galley? I think he'd store them in his Volkswagen Beetle. His purple Volkswagen Beetle. The bug. Yeah, the bug. And he obviously bought pineapple because he's remembering being his first incarnation in the Five Doctors. Of course. Mm, good point, my boy. <laughs> oh. Diabolical ingenuity. <laughs> goodness gracious, there are five of me now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Just slobbering all that pineapple down is just, just horrible. At least the action figure's got the fingerless gloves as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. Which yeah. Show... If they've got fingers on, they'd just be soaked in pineapple. <laughs> Yeah, I should, actually, I've got um, maybe when uh, the action figure is finally revealed, I will do a picture of him sitting on a tin of pineapple. To goodness gracious! <laughs> oh god. Anyway, it's uh, it's been um, it's been a silly one, but also an informative one today. So, yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it has. If you've enjoyed today's Pieces of Eight, or indeed liked any episode we've done, please do leave a review for us on iTunes or your podcast provider, as it means more people can and must find our episodes. They must, because we haven't had a new review in a while, and the algorithm's just not... Uh, it's not been pushing us the way that it did, and the way that before Christmas we were getting new reviews all the time, and we were shooting up the iTunes charts. And uh, But then again, that's the power of doing an episode every day. What kind of idiot would ever consider doing that again at all? Find out soon on uh, The Power of Three, which will have an Eighth Doctor-related episode. But anyway, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Pieces of Eight. And you can find our Facebook group too. And uh, you can send us a request to join that and find out what we're coming up. And some general chit-chat, um, including how, and as we record it, we can find out how Tina Peters has been getting on over at Tomorrowland, the EDM festival, which I so wish I was at. Um, so yes, um, we'll be back again next week. We'll be doing episode 19 of our 13 episode run, and we'll be having a chat with Patrick Lussier, the man who edited the TV movie. And I wonder if you would care to join me for a chat about that one, Matt? I would love to, yes. Excellent, well, we shall do that very soon. In fact, we'll do it in the next week. And then we'll be here for next Friday to chat with the man. So that until then, I've been Kenny Smith, not an AI version. And I was Matt Michael, not an AI version. Why do I suddenly feel that I'm going to be deleted and upgraded? <laughs> until next time, when hopefully we'll be able to dehumanise uh, Matt and uh, return him to normal. Uh, <laughs> I've been Kenny. Anyway, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.